0: No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com.
1: I think the whole industry is going towards, you know, BIM modeling overall, but it's still amazing to see how little is done in three dimensions and how little we are still, you know, in a world where the way that airplanes and cars are manufactured in a totally 3d pre-design process and that buildings are by and large still sort of just winging it in the field to a certain extent it's it's amazing honestly that we get these
0: things done this is detailed an original podcast by rcat I am your host, Cherise Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science, and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. My guest today is J.P. Emery, Principal at Anchor Moisson Architects. J.P. has over 16 years of experience in architecture as a designer, project architect, and principal in charge, with a focus on senior living, including independent living, skilled nursing, assisted living, and memory care. He has led architecture and consultant teams through the development of complex wood podium and high-rise buildings throughout the Puget Sound region. All of his major projects have involved addressing community and design review input to achieve consensus and approvals. The project we are chatting about today is the Aegis Living Lake Union in Seattle, Washington. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.rcat.com podcast. Located in the East Lake neighborhood of Seattle, adjacent to Lake Union, Aegis Lake Union is a shining beacon of innovation in the world of senior living. With its dedication to providing high-acuity assisted living, this exceptional community offers a glimpse into the future of senior care, thoughtfully designed for both comfort and sustainability. Behind the City of Seattle's Living Building Pilot Program, Developers were encouraged to participate in the Living Building Challenge Petal Certification, kindling a new era of thoughtfully designed architecture and pushing boundaries in the name of progress. In line with the Living Building Challenge Petal Program, Aegis Lake Union's purpose and design approach brought together principles of beauty, including elements provided solely for human delight.
1: We're seeing a trend, a long trend in the recognition needing to provide a, like a comfortable residential setting. You know, this is somebody's home for a long time. Perhaps it's the last home that they'll live in. And so we want that to be, you know, a wonderful place to live. What's really interesting is how well that fit with the living building challenge. So the Living Building Challenge certification, pedal certification, is a a big part of the design of this project. And one of the pedals, which are sort of their certification categories, one of the pedals is beauty. And that's one of the ones the team selected. And, And I would say that's because it aligns so well with what we're already trying to do in senior living. But it is really nice to have a sustainability certification that acknowledges beauty and allows us to even emphasize more the value of that you know i think that embedding design features that are there just for pleasure for delight is a kind of a recognition of i think fundamental kind of human characteristics you know we all care about what our haircut looks like or how our clothes look you know beauty in architecture is often thought of as a luxury but i think especially in a residential setting it's not a luxury, it's it's a part of life, and it doesn't have to be doesn't always have to be a cost add. you know, It can be the same materials executed in a wonderful way. One of the primary themes, I think, the rowing aesthetic, and that's relationship to the water and to Lake Union that this project site is near. And so a lot of the beauty comes from designing material features in a way that evoke motion through the water or through oars through the water, or boat building, joinery techniques, that kind of thing. And I think that's really interesting, because we could have employed those same materials just in a very plain way, in a, in a regular grid kind of way, or something like that. But you know, adding this thematic beauty to the way we've executed it, it's delightful, and it makes it more fun for everybody to do. And then, yeah, I think the other kind of part of it there is the the biophilic aspect providing kind of green features around the building and inside the building. Those are there, you know, really to delight and to make it a more comfortable place to live in.
0: When designing for senior living, there are unique considerations to keep in mind.
1: I would start kind of with the flow of people. That's a common feature, I suppose, in any building, but it is, you know, a very interesting one in senior living. So you have visitors, you have the residents, you have the staff and then you have vendors and a lot of times the operators would like those different flows not to directly interact particularly let's say vendors with visitors right and so a building only has so many sides so you have to you know consider how will you make all of those things kind of sing without crossing that goes for flow of materials too there's a soiled laundry there's food being prepared and then disposed of there's just regular kind of solid waste issues and then medical supplies. So, you know, there's a substantial kind of inflow and outflow, both of stuff and and people in these communities. The next complexity is acuity. Now, Aegis Living Lake Union specifically has two primary acuities: memory care and assisted living. Other communities also may have independent living or active adults. So you may have, you know, four different populations being served. And depending on how those things are being marketed, you may see that some independent living communities would like for those residents not to directly interact with memory care residents. I think it's sort of interesting. You know, We don't want to necessarily see where we might end up next. And so again, separating and, and meeting the needs of each of those acuities is, is critical. And just to that point I made about maybe not wanting to see what the future might hold out of sort of fear a little bit, is that first impression or, or sales walk. And I think, you know, Aegis is very savvy in this way that they are making a important first impression, both from the outside and in the moments as you walk in the door and first interact with a member of their staff. And it really is a critical part because particularly for care-based communities which Aegis is exclusively assisted living and memory care they have you know a higher resident turnover than an apartment building or independent living and so you know they have to sell pretty often and that experience you know appealing both to perhaps the adult who has need but also especially the family member often a child who is making a decision about where their loved one is going to be living And so that sales design is a huge aspect of these communities. And then amenities, we've probably all been in one of these communities, you know, there could be a pool, there's always a dining room, there could be a theater, you know, there's a wide variety of offerings there. And so fitting those programs into the building is very interesting. And then there's a lot about kind of accessibility, colors, textures, you know, what can seniors perceive better or worse what's safe, what's not, places to rest. There's a whole laundry list of things. So they're really quite interesting in that way because there's not a shortage of design problems to solve.
0: The inherent design challenges of a senior living community would be made even more complex with the selected site. However, the offering of an established community and unparalleled connectivity made it an ideal location.
1: The street and the neighborhood are things that actually make the site great. Those are sort of actually not challenges, but assets. So the building is already on a pretty good transit service line. And that street in particular, the Front Street Eastlake should see a streetcar service in the future in City of Seattle, as well as a dedicated bike lane being installed in front of it. And so that connectivity is really good for seniors. It's good for their visitors and and for the staff. So, you know, that street in and of itself is is a pretty good thing. It also happens to be, you know, part of a, a long steep slope that it sits in the middle of, which is great for, for views. Those things are, are kind of assets. The neighborhood that it's in, Eastlake is one of Seattle's oldest neighborhoods. So the homes and the older buildings there have a really nice identity that is really helpful. We try to, especially with Aegis in particular, design a contextual response and having an interesting context is very rewarding to draw from. The challenge of this site really comes also from one of the benefits I just talked about, which is that slope. So an incredibly deep hill cut in order to accommodate really below grade parking and access that below grade parking, very challenging building near other neighbors who have enjoyed views as a result of the site and the slope behind this. And that's such a challenge in Seattle because, you know, views are not a protected, a legally protected aspect of one's property. I can relate to it. You know, it's, it's very challenging as, you know, as a property owner for someone else to come in and, and design something new that, that blocks your view. But I think the reality is, is that part of the sustainability goals and the long-term social goals of assisted living and of this project is increasing density within neighborhoods. So you know, I think that sacrifice was something that was sort of part of the design review process that was a, a, a challenge. The soil conditions are very poor as well. So, there's a lot of drainage issues associated with that deep cut. And then finally, a zoning envelope that honestly made the project almost a failure in the beginning. So, participation in the Living Building program was part of City of Seattle's Living Building Pilot Program. So, that was a partnership between ILFI, the certification agency, and City of Seattle to motivate developers to adopt living building challenge is a very high bar for sustainability. And in adopting that, Aegis got a little bit of flexibility and some additional height. And I think that was an incredibly positive and forward thinking move on really Aegis's part and also City Seattle, because I think the the public gets sort of better buildings out of it. And I mean, it would be nice to to do things just because of our values or just because of our goals for the environment. But the reality is, is that this building was substantially on a percentage basis much more expensive to achieve. Those sustainability features, particularly at the higher level, are quite expensive. That's the reality right now. And so for City of Seattle to motivate for that to happen and actually made this project viable, I think it's an excellent achievement From all parties in that way.
0: In its connection to place and history, the project was inspired by the natural beauty of the lake setting and the historic UW 1936 Berlin gold medal winning Olympic rowing team who trained in Lake Union. The design team referenced both the craftsmanship of wood rowing shells and the motion of the shell moving over the water in selecting simple high quality materials and applying them in ways that evoke patterns in water and the movement of the oars
1: at the base of the building the first two levels there's a dark brick color and brick is a pretty common feature particularly in East Lake and some of the older buildings And so one of the reasons it's employed in that way is is a reference to other buildings in the neighborhood to help it fit into the context. And additionally, I think that we sort of divided the building. It's not unusual to have a tripartite scheme. I wouldn't say that's exactly what's happening here, but we sort of divided the building into this lower heavy base, a middle, and that receives the Western Red Cedar Cladding. That's the reference to boat building and to boat houses. And then the very top is it tries to be as glassy as as possible, that very topmost level, which is, you know, sort of connecting you to the to the sky a little bit. At all of those different levels, we are trying to achieve something functionally as well as in reference to concept. So at the lower levels, that brick. Is employed in some detail strips in a herringbone pattern, which is a motif that occurs throughout the building. We are able to kind of use long rows of herringbone that reference the way that an oar out of a sweep shell is kind of coming out of the rowboat at a 45-degree angle into the water in an alternating series. So the herringbone pattern is a really nice reference to rowing in that way. The middle levels, the Western Red Cedar, you know, I think that part of that ties to trying to pick natural, renewable, or sustainable materials. So, from a living building perspective, we'd like to choose products that respond to the sustainability criteria. And additionally, there's a wave wall kind of what we call it as wave wall on the north side of the property where the shingling of the western road cedar kind of undulates up and down like a wave is a really interesting detail again that kind of relates back to that rowing and you know lake activity kind of thing and then the very top of the building one of the more controversial features from a design review perspective is the giant overhanging roof There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, drama is always nice in architecture. So, you know, a giant overhang that makes you a little sort of like, well, how is it standing there? Kind of, you know, that, that drama is exciting, but also really, this is one of the great challenges of sustainability in a way in a dense environment is you'd like to generate power on site, but there's a real disconnect between the amount of solar power you can generate on your roof. On a very tall building, which doesn't have as much roof as a low, wide building. And so that giant overhang is an interesting opportunity just to claim a little more solar power as well. And that's kind of the, in a nutshell, I think that the exterior experience, kind of the heavy base, the cedar cladding at, at kind of the middle of body of the building, and then the lightness at the top.
0: Inside, the building caters to the unique needs of its residents, carefully tailored to foster social interaction and maximize comfort.
1: That main lobby, that very first entrance experience is really critical to Aegis. And it's also probably one of the more difficult and interesting technical achievements on the project as well. Because when you're entering at street level, through the front doors and you're walking into that main lobby, it's it's double height, which is great. You know, it's got this huge volume to it, which is very beautiful. And it's very long. And when you're looking at the back, you might kind of not know it, but you're you're something like 40 feet down from the adjoining property. So the backside of that lobby and the outdoor space behind it is incredibly deep. But you know, what could have happened is it could have just been a very dark space at the far end. But what happened is is we, you know, carved in a very broad light well big enough to accommodate a maple tree and to accommodate kind of a, a basalt themed, you know, sort of a little waterfall and water feature in that light well. And so it really brings in a pretty great light into the termination, into the end point of the lobby and becomes a focal point. So it kind of turns that, you know, subterranean <laughs> aspect of the back of the building into more of a feature. And and that double height space has a George Pocock rowing shell hanging upside down in the ceiling of the space which is, you know, fun drama. And one of the little details, you know, if anybody looks at the photos or or gets out there is that there's these sky and water Motifs. I forget if they're. I think some of it's paint, some of it's tile. But those sky and water motifs sort of line up with the boat up in the ceiling area, but they're they're reversed. So the sky is is upside down because the boat's upside down. Some of the other interesting spaces. All of the assisted living common areas, or most of them, are on that ground floor because what Aegis would like to do is they'd like to see their residents come out of their rooms, go to one place in the building and have an opportunity to socialize with the other people living in the building and, and interact with staff too. And that's difficult to do if you distribute spaces throughout the building. So their philosophy is to consolidate it all in one place. So we've got you know a salon, a barbershop, massage, a multipurpose room, a theater, the dining room, you know so all of these spaces are are on the ground floor and they're kind of you know really squeezed in there it's a it's a tough footprint honestly on this building but we really did create these really wonderful intimate you know gathering spaces on the ground floor i'll touch briefly the dining room is kind of an interesting feature that's on the front side of the building adjacent to the lobby and we have some really large operable windows there that face the street and so that's an opportunity for You know the residents inside and for the people walking by to have an interaction or just be aware of each other and you know i think that's that's always wonderful to achieve if we can you know we don't want these to be separate from the community we want them to be kind of a part of it
0: as the first assisted living community built to meet living building challenge pedal certification the building provides a sustainable and healthy living standard that far exceeds any other senior community in the U.S. Thoughtfully chosen materials exemplify the team's commitment to sustainability and healthy living.
1: In general, kind of warm colors and textures are common throughout this building. There's a focus on providing non-VOC releasing materials, of course, too, as a result of the sustainability aspect of this project, you have a concern in, in this population about high contrast. So oftentimes that high contrast can be seen as a change in level, and that's just something that comes with the aging eye. And so, you know, I think it's, it's the appropriate change in color and texture so that you can express different spaces separately but not stark contrast, which can be disorienting, particularly in the memory care. You know, the carpet has sort of a flowing water feel to it, I would say. I think that's, you know, it kind of, everything here is kind of going back to kind of the lake feel or the rowing feel. You see that herringbone pattern that I talked about on the outside of the building come through in a number of different ways. You see it in the wood ceilings and the some of the floors in the tile as well. I have to say, I think our team, our interiors team, have done a really excellent job on the project. And what I would encourage you to do is to invite them onto the podcast in a later episode, and they can give you a you know full narrative.
0: For the residences, the units are compact, but designed to combine comfort with functionality.
1: Aegis in particular serves a pretty high acuity. And so they don't provide kitchens, with the rare exception of some really big two bedrooms, they will provide a kitchen. But typically, they provide just a kitchenette. And that's because most of the population they're serving is kind of past the point of preparing their own meals. They might occasionally reheat something, so they have a little fridge and a microwave, that kind of thing is typical. But in general, they're you know receiving all of their meals inside the building. So their units are on the smaller side as compared to, let's say, a full apartment, but they're really appropriate, I feel, you know I would agree with Aegis on this, that they're appropriate to what they're trying to achieve which is again that social interaction. They want the rooms to be comfortable. I I would say they are, you know, you think about people have to go in and provide care in those units and so whether it's a studio or a one bedroom you need to provide enough space around the bed for someone assisting to kind of walk all the way around it. You need to provide a pretty generous bathroom because there's a lot of assisted bathing that might be going on or maneuvering a wheelchair, walker, that kind of thing. But the focus I would say is on you know a comfortable but small living space and then a really huge variety and opportunity of amenities in the building.
0: One of the most intriguing aspects of this community is the sustainable design. Aegis Lake Union is a model example of eco-conscious living.
1: We first had to have a 25 percent reduction in energy use in the building And we also had to be net zero in terms of energy use. So uh, it's actually quite challenging for a senior community, you know, very energy intensive. So the first thing was establishing an EUI that we could all agree on. None of the baselines that existed within the standards that were being referenced were for assisted living of this type. And so the first step was to say, well, what combination of baselines is actually reasonable to establish that EUI number. And part of the way we got there was Aegis bringing their own utility measures from other buildings that they had in operation that were in the same code cycle and or in the most recent prior. So then we converted that data with our energy modeler at PAE into kind of a logical baseline EUI that we could measure from. And then we worked on energy measures that would include, you know, tighter envelope, more efficient appliances, that kind of thing to bring down to a 25% reduction, in which there was, you know, almost no buffer on by the time we were able to get there because, you know, frankly, it's just a high, high energy building. So that's what it's kind of designed to meet. And then from the net zero perspective, you know, I kind of spoke about the, Broad roof and the amount of solar arrays. Well, we had to fit a lot of mechanical equipment up there too. Even without it, it's not enough roof to provide net zero. And this was another kind of rule change. So, what ILFI allowed for urban sites was to provide offsite power. But the rule was is that the company doing development, so Aegis, would have to actually operate that solar facility long term, and That aspect of it was sort of not really feasible. What was feasible was for them to pay for the long-term development of it and incorporate it. So they actually found a property partner who was building a warehouse. And that warehouse then received Aegis's sort of financed solar generation within the same sort of utility network. That array plus the array that's on the building Equals out to the to the net zero, but I think that's the kind of you know creative solutions that are going to be required. You know there are certainly examples like the sustainable. I think it's called SLI. I I forget what the acronym sustainable is the first letter. It's the high rise and mid rise system that's been designed by Collins Werman in partnership with another with a structural engineer I I can't think of right now, and it's a kit of parts. High rise system with integrated solar generation, you know, kind of that goes all the way up. And we've seen that in curtain wall systems and, and things like that too, right? Like integrated solar can be a large part of a lot of buildings. But I still think that it's not realistic for all building types at all times to be able to generate all the power they need on site. And so I think programs like this where you can generate power where it makes sense physically. And then that contributes to the overall sustainability of the project makes a lot of sense.
0: From an enclosure perspective, JP describes how they achieved their sustainability goals.
1: We already have a really stringent energy code in Washington. And so your baseline for insulation and window performance is pretty high. And you can spend a lot more money to get a little bit further down that road, but it is not moving the needle a ton in your energy performance. Now it's necessary, of course, in order to get that reduction. Uh, I think this is an excellent building envelope, but I don't know that it's got anything that's going to shock anybody. It's got you know triple pane, gas-filled windows, of course. It's got a uh, pretty substantial exterior insulation in addition to the cavity insulation, high R-value roof, exceptionally high levels of air tightness measure i think i could be speaking out of turn here but i'm pretty sure it's you know close to or within the passive house kind of standard of of air leakage but honestly those things are we would have been pretty close to those things on a baseline washington state energy code building there would have been a little less exterior insulation maybe it would have been double pane but in terms of the overall performance of the building It's a very, very small part of achieving what we achieved.
0: For those outside of jurisdictions that have stringent baseline energy requirements, JP shared additional recommendations on enclosure design.
1: I think exterior insulation can have, for you know, load dominant climates where you have a heavy cooling or heating load. And you really want a high R value envelope. You know, the exterior insulation is, it it really is an important part of performance. And so I think, you know, getting more out of the cavity and into the exterior is, is a key part of that. And then once you've gone a certain way on that, then the only thing you can look at in a way is your, is your windows. And, you know. It's funny, even in the vinyl products, there's some pretty awesome triple pane options that are really not that much more expensive. That that cost is going coming down a lot in the last few years.
0: The team faced a unique sustainability challenge. Yes, I'm about to say toilet flushing.
1: One of the requirements of the Living Building Challenge is to not use potable water for non-potable uses. and. So one of the aspects of that was toilet flushing. And so that means use gray water for toilet flushing. So the first place we went with that was to use rainwater. But, you know, the rainwater comes in a specific time in the year in Seattle and the size of storage that you would need in order to accommodate toilet flushing while well, and irrigation too over the whole year is frankly unrealistic. So you can't store that much water on site. So then we looked at the other obvious source of gray water, which would be like shower runoff. And where we ran into the obstacle was not so much in the treatment itself or the, you know, capture of it, but actually the Department of Health. And the Department of Health, just, you know, in any state, their responsibility first is to the senior population that they're licensing for and they were really concerned about the health of residents if we were going to employ this feature and i think you know the, honestly the first answer was no that we couldn't just that we just couldn't do it flat out no and our sort of ability to partner with the graywater consultant and to partner with department of health and also eventually king county who also had a say in whether this could happen or not our ability to work with all of these stakeholders actually you know because it is sort of values based because it was around this idea of long-term sustainability it was a way of bringing everybody to the table to solve the technical issues associated with it and really change the laws for how how we could use water in the building and where that ended up, and and I think we'll see as maybe a commonality in senior living in the future, is that we were able to use gray water for toilet flushing exclusive of the memory care units. So the gray water treatment in this building is, you know, it's sort of 99% of the way to potable water. Obviously that gap from 99 to 100% is still pretty big, but it's safe enough that you know, whatever sort of aerosol of water is generated from a flush is is not a risk to the health of residents. And then, you know, in memory care, I mean, there's no other way to say this, but like residents may come directly in contact with the toilet water just because of dementia issues, right? So that's why gray water was, you know, kept out there. And then that became a a stakeholder agreement with City of Seattle and ILFI that we were able to use potable water for flushing there. So everybody had to bend, really rewrite the rules to achieve this. And I think that is, you know, that's at the forefront of any innovative process is you've got to turn no's into yes's. This
0: project eliminates the use of potable water for non-potable uses. More specifically, this means that all irrigation and toilet flushes are accomplished using gray water recycled on site. A biofiltration system captures and treats water from residents' showers, and that water is returned to the building for use. This system saves 140,000 gallons of potable water each year. In construction, JP's experience illuminated lessons that he would carry forward suggestions for future clients.
1: Aegis and Ankram Moisen had successfully delivered a lot of assisted living projects together before Aegis Lake Union. And you know, I mean, I'm on the design side, so I'm always going to say, let's go more with design. Let's do clash detection. Let's model all of the interior MEP elements so we can coordinate them in advance. And, you know, the client would prefer not to double pay for things. And we had mostly been able to coordinate things in the field. And so, you know, why would they want to do the clash detection? I think this project really (laughs) more than any other. I mean, it just had the density of stuff, had more stuff because higher performance products often have more stuff, to put it simply. So a 3D coordinated, you know, clash detection model that could have been developed over a series of months before construction started. I think really could have saved us all some shouting in the construction process and I think that to me is is the biggest lesson learned and the more complex the building, I think the whole industry is going towards, you know, BIM modeling overall, but it's still amazing to see How little is done in three dimensions and how little we are still, you know, in a world where the way that airplanes and cars are manufactured in a totally 3D pre-designed process and that buildings are by and large still sort of just winging it in the field to a certain extent. It's it's amazing, honestly, that we get these things done.
0: Aegis Lake Union is more than just a building. It's a testament to the power of innovative thinking and compassion in creating living spaces for seniors that prioritize comfort, sustainability, and quality of life. Overall, the building is a demonstration of the standards of beauty, place, energy, and water established in the collaborations between Ages Senior Living Communities and Anchor Moisson. With J.P.'s experience in sustainability and coming off of the first assisted living community built to meet living building challenge pedal certification, I was curious what challenges he saw that could prevent wider adoption in the industry and delivery of sustainable buildings.
1: I think it's this reward question in a way or incentive question. Why do I want to do sustainable development? And there's a lot of levers coming now from the finance side, which is awesome to see. But as we discussed here, achieving a very high level of sustainability is still a cost add. Now, it may be a cost neutral or negative in the long term because these buildings last longer and are cheaper to operate on a day-to-day basis. So how do we reward the industry or how do we incentivize the industry to focus a little less on first cost and i think city of seattle is honestly a leader in this pilot program because they have allowed us to create something fantastic like this so it, it doesn't always have to be yield i know that you know there's a lot of nimbyism out there and and i can respect the fear of density in your neighborhood people like things how they are doesn't always have to be density although that's a really great lever. I think the cost of permitting, the speed of permitting are other opportunities to turn a lever. I think that jurisdictions should really look closely at how can we incentivize sustainable development and hopefully then we'll see we'll see more of it.
0: I really enjoyed this conversation with JP. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination.
1: It's about building long-lasting, trust-based relationships with my colleagues and clients, but, you know, personal life, I think, works the same way. Great achievements are built on, on trust and partnership, This building in particular could have only been done, I feel, as a fifth or sixth project with Aegis Living. We had built a relationship where we understood each other, where we trusted each other. And when we said, how would you like to do something that's completely outside of your comfort zone and nothing like what you've done before, they were willing to go there with us. And so I think that that trust relationship is, is how great things get done.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.